Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. What a joy it is to be here this morning with you to share God's Word. But it's Father's Day, so welcome all the fathers to Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We're glad to have you today. Um, we'll be diving into the book of Ephesians starting in chapter 5. But before we do that, the reason I chose this text for today is to remind the fathers, especially myself, gentlemen, that it's not up to others to lead the home. It's up to us. We are responsible for the raising of our children and to lead our wives through Scripture and truth. It's not the responsibility of the elders. It's not the responsibility of the pastor. It's us as men to lead our families. So this is near and dear to my heart. I chose this text because being that it is Father's Day, but I think today is a healthy reminder that we need to step up and, and lead our families spiritually in God and in spirit of truth. Back in the 1990s, in 1990 exactly, Alistair Begg did a sermon series on the role of fatherhood and marriage. And what really stood out to me, the way he preached, was that even back then, the degradation of the family was so prominent in society. And so you think about, you roll back to 1990 to 2022, think the, um, the amount of cultural degradation that's going on in our homes. So today's an incredibly special day as we celebrate the fathers here at Port St. Lucie Bible Church. So our emphasis is on Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25 through 33. So turn with me to your Bibles, and let's read from Ephesians starting in chapter verse 25. I'll give you a minute to get there. Beginning in verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, the exposition here is that husbands are to share the same love of their wives as Christ shares for the church. Jesus is the bridegroom, and the church is his bride. As we contemplate the kind of love that Christ has for the church, it's imperative to focus on the action of giving up oneself. The giving up of oneself is an action of humility, selflessness. It shows a sacrifice for the other party. So the design for marriage as husbands is to humble ourselves and to serve and care for our wife the way Jesus humbly sacrificed himself to the point of death on the cross. When our children see their fathers serving their mothers selflessly through this sacrificial love, conceding our own desires as men and lifting the desires of our wives over our own, then we can begin to understand the true biblical example of godly leadership in the home. As you can see here in verse 25 again, Paul commands us. You'll see this command three times, verse 25, 28, and 33. The command is to love our wives. 
I'll just restate it just because it's such an important command that Paul hands down through the Lord in this epistle. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As you can see here, you'll notice in this passage that Paul is referencing the command to love. And I think under the authority of God, this command of love, it's not an arbitrary obligation to love our wives as men. Paul stipulates this as a command from God. And when we love our wives the way God intended for us to love them, we connect the headship of the husband under the authority of God to orchestrate the familial design authored by the Lord Jesus Christ since the beginning of the foundation of the earth as we see in Genesis. When we as husbands fulfill our duty prescribed in verses 25, 28, and 33, it makes it easier for our wives to willingly submit to us as men because we're demonstrating the kind of love that Christ first showed us in humility and wives are designed to respond to us as husbands when we properly love them. So when we love our wives in the proper design and the headship in the home, it's done through mutual trust and respect, and it's a submission from their wives to us as husbands that it's ordained by God. But the husband has to correctly and adequately fulfill the command postulated by Paul, as we see here in these three commands, to love our wives. The role of husbands and wives described here is very clearly stated in Scripture. If you turn with me in Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, be subject to your husband as to the Lord. And then it goes on in verse 23 to further state, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and himself is Savior. The submission of the wife includes the provision of honoring and obedience from the wife towards her husband, husband based on this principle. For out of the flow of love for one another, it's the same love that Christ had for his father. And when we exhibit that love, the same way Christ exhibited to his father and the calling on his life to go to the cross for us, Christ willfully, through obedience, because of his love for his own father, it was done as an act of submission. And even compliance, some would argue, because of the authority of God over him, which in turn is the same command to love our wives. So when the husband loves his wife the same way that Christ submitted to his father, it's a very particular biblical order ordained by God since the book of Genesis, which we'll see here in a moment. But I want to get to the point that after God had created man, Eve was created out of the rib of Adam. God called Eve to be a helpmate for Adam. The Apostle Paul assigns the reason for the wife's submission in verse 33. It's almost as if it serves as a metaphor from the body, describing the husband as the head, which is part of our natural body. And within this metaphor, the head denotes the specific seat of wisdom, reason, and knowledge. And more specifically, the Lord has granted man the ability to govern and direct creation under, Lord's, under the Lord's authority and direction. The conception of headship in verse 23 is seen in the resembling purview for how Christ grant, was granted authority over the church by his Father as a primary superior and headship appointed to Christ by his Father in heaven. A woman's natural desires for her husband. She was created to be his helpmate. And so when we are properly caring for our wives in humility through spiritual leading, material provision, because the husband is commanded to lead, nurture, and protect his wife, the wife in God's pure design for marriage allows for the wife to be cheerfully and willingly to submit herself to the headship and leadership 
of her husband. So long as the husband, gentlemen, is being led obediently by the Lord. And when we do this, it creates a tension, right? There's this tension, this uneasiness of the topic of submission. And where does it stem from? The uneasiness of submission rests with our own sin. When we sin, it goes back to the fall of Adam and Eve in the, gar- in the garden, right? Because in verse 25, it's unnatural to love our wives as ourselves. We tend to be selfish in our marriages at times, don't we, gentlemen? Not you ladies, right? Just the gentlemen. But as you can see, when Paul commands us as husbands, he states in verse 25, again, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how did Christ love the church? What example of duty is the husband to show in love to his wife? Well, Christ laid down his physical life for the church. Husbands are charged to do the same for our wives. When we give ourselves up, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, to meet the needs of our wives by spiritually leading them in the scriptures, teaching them the word. Our wives will in turn support us to teach our children the word of God. But as you can see, in order for the roles to be correct, for the command for the husbands to lead their wives properly and their homes, it starts with our own right relationship with Christ. Gentlemen, when our lives are not in order, spiritually in order, with the headship, we cannot effectively lead our homes. So I encourage you today, get right with God. Let him lead you. So in order to understand this relationship toward Christ, to make sure that the relationship is solid and intact, Christ provides the husband the sound wisdom, reasoning, and knowledge to effectively lead his home and his wife. But it starts in verses 23 through 25. And if that relationship between Christ and the husband is not adequately and spiritually aligned, the husband has no hope of fulfilling the command in verse 25 properly. So what then do, do we do as husbands to correct this, and why do we fail at times? It's because of sin in our lives that disrupts the unity of the Spirit working through us and disrupts the effective headship of our home. Therefore, the Apostle Paul, early in Ephesians chapter 5, from our scripture reading this morning, verses 1 through 11, exhorts and admonishes us as to how we can get into a right spiritual relationship with Christ as Lord and head of our lives. So let's go and turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and let's see what the Apostle Paul says about how we can turn from sin and, be, and to begin to walk in love. And I'll read here, starting in verse 1, one, give you a moment to get there. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3, but... Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is improper among saints. Let there be no, filthy, no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, 
but instead they expose them. Paul, within these 11 verses, gives us the people of God an exhortation to extend mutual love and charity and service to one another. As we're commanded to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, Paul reminds us here in verse 2 that Christ's example on the cross and through his grace, we are to exemplify grace to one another. We're to be merciful as Christ is merciful toward us. And even as followers of God, we're to imitate and mimic the love and the sacrifice that Jesus bestowed upon us by taking up our sins in his body and going to the cross willingly and obediently out of the love for us and the love for his Father. You see here again in verses 3 through 5 that Paul gives us some practical wisdom to walk away from sin. He warns us about impurity. He warns us about immorality, idolatry, which will only lead to a road of destruction if we give ourselves over to it. For us some, they will not even inherit the kingdom of God, Paul warns us. So some of you may ask, where is the connection to Ephesians 5.25 here in these 11 verses in the beginning of chapter 5. Well, the connection is distinct, mind you. If we as believers, and especially as husbands, have these types of sin in our lives and are not walking in the obedience of Christ through the grace, mercy, and faith that we're commanded to walk with the Lord through the Apostle Paul in this epistle, we have no hope to develop the proper, ordained, and biblical model of headship in our marriage or the family structure. The process for us as men to be effective leaders in our homes starts with our relationship with Christ. And then we need to ensure there's proper alignment because we, if we're not reconciled by God and our faith in Christ, our submission to Christ sets the tone and the example for our wives and our children to follow us. When our relationship with God is in proper order, as Paul warns us again in verse 6, do not be deceived with empty words. So we as men have a duty to take extra precaution in what we read. We need to protect our minds with what we watch on TV. And we also need to be careful about who we surround ourselves with and we call friends, even within the church and outside the church, in the workplace, wherever you go in your daily walk. I encourage you to use discernment. Because Paul says in verse 7, if we become partakers with them through their deception and end up deceiving those within our own circle of influence, we are just dead in our trespasses. And in verses 8 through 10, Paul exhorts us to conduct our lives with good, obedience, practices of mercy, purity. We need to use discernment to please the Lord and ultimately to expose those who are openly defiant against the word of God. Because if you go back to Ephesians 5.25 through, five, excuse me, 5.22 through 25, these verses are so critically important in verses 1 through 11, because it tees up Paul's exhortation of the husband to the command of biblical Christian leadership of his wife and ultimately his home. The husband's duty, again commanded in verse 25, is to love his wife. When husbands go without loving their wives as commanded here in Scripture, we abuse our headship and our authority over our wives. The love that Christ had for the church was a sincere and passionate affection for the people of God. When the husband from a pure and passionate heart exhibits the love toward his wife, the wife willingly responds to this love, and she respects her husband, which shapes the biblical model for marriage. This is an important conception for us as believers because the proper fulfillment between husband and wife, if the roles are not set up correctly in proper order, our children will learn 
that the husband is not leading the home properly and mom becomes the head of the home. And that is out of biblical order and alignment with scripture. So if our children begin to be dissuaded, whereby the children begin to look to their mother as the head of the home, the authority is lost. Fathers have a tremendous responsibility to ensure a biblical model of headship to make sure that it's set up correctly at the outset of marriage. So if you young people planning to be married, I encourage you to get biblical marital counseling. Understand what your role is going to be before you enter in a civil union in marriage. And gentlemen, as we have this tremendous responsibility, in verse 26, the idea is that Christ gave himself up so that he may sanctify the church in this world so that we can go to God in the next and, and be purified, holy, and set apart. We do this by being washed by the water of the word, the written word of truth. This act of washing is important because when we receive the word of truth, we're baptized in it, and through Christ's death and giving himself up for us, we can be free from the dominion of sin and receive the gospel truth as it's intended. And in verse 27, we see how the Apostle Paul characterizes through Christ's sacrifice of giving himself as Savior. We're reconciled as his people. He can present us to his Father without any deformity, any spot or wrinkle, free from shame, because we'll be perfect when the Lord calls us home. And when we're perfect, there'll be no more pain. And then in verse 28, the command is there again. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. We take care of ourselves. A furthermore reason to put the needs of our wives ahead of our own since we're to care for ourselves. Alistair Begg references in one of his sermons that no man ever truly hated his own body. Right? We bathe ourselves. We feed ourselves. We clothe ourselves. We do the basic human things to take care of ourselves. Even much more to ensure the, the same caring and evocation of our home and especially our wives. The church in this life is being sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit. So when we are all in glory, there will not be spot or wrinkle. We need to give up our selfish desires and teach our wives the truth of God's word to ensure that they're adequately seeking Christ for their own sanctification and to challenge them to move and strive for holiness. Since the husband is united to his wife in a relationship through a civil union, it can be further argued that we as men should also love our wives with the same passionate and warm affection as Christ loves his church. In verse 30, we see that we are members of the body of Christ, which is the primary reason Christ nurtures and nourishes us, because he loves us. Husbands should prove the same nourishment and nurture towards our wives as Christ does for the church. We see in verse 31 the Old Testament scripture referenced to Genesis 2.24. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, starting in chapter 2, verse 24, you'll see the original foundation for the role of marriage. In the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24, it states, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. It should be one flesh. So this correlation of the union of Christ and the church is the same for marriage, right? Paul encourages us. He says it's but a mystery, but we're to hold fast to our wives. We're one flesh, which means whatever we do in our own lives has a direct effect 
on our wives and our home. So if we're in sin, do the math. You can't be properly leading your wife if you're one flesh. It's just a civil union. The matrimonial bond is through the Holy Spirit leading you as a man, guiding you as a man, encouraging you as a man to live a godly life. Paul concludes in verse 33 with the command again to love our wives. And if we do it properly, our wives will again show us respect as husbands. Here's an interesting point, though. Another term we can extrapolate for our wives for respecting our husbands is a sense of reverence. A similar reverence we should show for Christ for what he did for us on the cross. Because he exemplified this action of self-sacrifice when he went to the cross dying for the sins and rescuing all of us from the penalty of the sin that we so deserve. The idea of reverence here is showing love and esteem for one another. Therefore, as we go out today as husbands, I pray and implore you, gentlemen, let's spur one another on in the brotherhood to love our wives the same way Christ loved us, his church. I encourage you to study the word, understand what a biblical marriage looks like, enable yourselves under the teaching of the gospel, and especially here in Paul's epistle, to start a foundation, but it starts with self, being in alignment with God, reconciling your life to the faith through Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. If we can't get that right first, then we have no hope for setting the proper biblical foundation for marriage and our homes. So as we go and love and esteem our wives, the example is Christ. So let's model that example for our families and for each other. So it's in Jesus' name that I bring this message to you today. I'd like to close in prayer, and I thank you for your attention. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your time today. We pray that as fathers and husbands, we can truly be the biblical model and example to our wives, to our children, to our communities. And let us be strengthened by your word this morning to go out and truly understand what the biblical model of headship looks like. Let us be strong as individuals to give our selfish desires up, just as you did, Lord, willingly to go to the cross, to absorb our sins as your church so that we can be sanctified, reconciled to the Father. And Lord, I just thank you so much for all the fathers that are striving. Lord, I pray that they would receive this word with encouragement. This exhortation would be penetrating to their hearts and their minds so that they can be better husbands and better fathers. To, to and ultimately just to serve you, Lord, to bring glory to your name. So Lord, with all that said, it's in your precious son's name that we pray. Amen.